You are listening to the Parkview Church Podcast. To learn more about Parkview Church, including our gathering times in Palm Coast, Florida, visit us online at parkviewlife.com. We are going to continue our series. We've been in a collection of talks called uh, The Lord's Prayer. And um, what we've been doing is we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer, which can be found in Matthew chapter 6, which is where we're going to be tonight. And so if you want to turn your Bibles there or swipe there, if not, it'll be on the Sky Bible, a.k.a. the screen. Um, and uh, we've been looking at, um, you know, when, when Jesus says something, especially something like this in Matthew chapter 6, he goes, and when you pray, pray like this. That, that shouldn't be just glanced over. That should stop us in our tracks and have us take a look at kind of in depth what he's talking about for sometimes jesus spoke in parables and sometimes uh jesus spoke um in these in these stories but in moments like this where jesus is like hey very clearly pray and when you pray pray like this we should be like okay like it shouldn't be like taken as a suggestion um it should be taken as like the example and as the command and so in matthew chapter 6 we come apart we come across this story where Jesus is preaching this sermon on this mountainside, and it's titled the Sermon on the Mount. And what he's doing is he is clarifying a lot of truths from the Old Testament, as well as giving insight and revealing new truths since he's arrived and is about to implement a new way of living and of kingdom living. And in this process, he number one gained a lot of followers, but he also lost. A lot of followers but there's this one part in the sermon on the mount where again jesus goes and when you pray pray like this and this is what we call the lord's prayer and i want to read it together matthew chapter 6 verses 9 through 13 it says this pray then like this our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. From this, for this message specifically, I want us to take a look at that last verse. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. Temptation. I have two questions when I read that verse just right off the top of my head. Number one, what is temptation? Right? Like, what actually is temptation? Well, according to the Greek word that was used when Jesus was talking, here is what he meant by the word temptation according to that definition. An enticement to sin. Temptation, whether arising from internal desires or from outward circumstances. It is the trial of man's fidelity, integrity, virtue, and consistency. So let me kind of paint a picture of what temptation is by that definition. Um, when my wife and I came to visit uh, for the first Sunday, we were going to be moving here and, and joining the staff. Um, we dropped our boys off at my parents' house up in Jacksonville. And we came down here to do a little work on the house because our boys are two and one. You try painting a house uh, with a two and a one-year-old, it ain't gonna, it ain't gonna work. They're gonna get paint more than the walls, right? And so we dropped them off and we came back to do some work. Well, at, at that time, like I, I try to be very strict and disciplined in what I eat. And so I have a specific day of the week, which I label a cheat day, and it's like my favorite day of the week because it's when I get to eat whatever I want. Like, whatever I crave is what I'm going to go get. Any other day, not going to happen. But on this day, is like my favorite day. So that day typically is on Friday. Now, come Saturday, we're working on the house, and we had a long day's worth of work, and I was introduced to something while we were here, this place called Swillerby's. Now, they're not a sponsor. Uh, they, uh, they're not a sponsor of this church, although Swillerby's, if you're watching, we, no, I'm just kidding. Um, they're not a sponsor, but I was introduced to this place. Now, this is not Krispy Kreme. This is not Dunkin' Donuts. This is handcrafted, gourmet, $7.95 donuts. 
1,200 calories per donut, right? And I, here's the problem. Our boys were gone. We had worked really hard. And I knew they opened before church did that Sunday. And I heard, I was woken up three times in the middle of the night. Somebody was calling my name. And it wasn't the Lord, it was Swiller Beast. <laughs> and so that Sunday morning, before we came to church and we we're going to go home and work on the house a little bit, I woke up at 6 a.m. And I leaned over to Lauren. I was like, I'm going to go get some Swiller Beast. <laughs> and so I went to the store and I picked out a couple. Now, as I'm picking them out, here's what I'm thinking. Man, I'm going to be a blessing to my wife and get her some gourmet donuts. But I will not eat any. I got half a dozen donuts. <laughs> By the time I got home, there were four left. <laughs> but I, I tell that silly story in that small picture to be of a hopefully paint a greater picture that I had a set of rules in my life of I'm going to do this on this day, I'm going to live this way, I'm going to be disciplined that way. And it, the, the silly little donut made me fold in an instant. I was tempted to eat that because I put myself in the situation to eat it. I put myself in the situation that my integrity, which I only set by myself, nobody else expects me to do it but me, could be compromised. I was tempted to, to partake of something that I said I was not going to do. I was tempted. So that's a small picture of a greater picture. That's question number one. What is temptation? It's an enticement to miss the mark of perfection, which is sin. Whether arising from desires within or outward circumstances. So that's question number one. What is temptation? That's what it is. Second quick question is this. Does God tempt us? Right? So this is, if this is the Lord's prayer, and we're praying, and lead us not into temptation, if we isolate that verse, we, uh, it makes you ask that question. Does God tempt us? Does God tempt you with evil? Does God tempt me with evil? Now, if we were to isolate that verse and disregard the entirety of Scripture, we may be led to believe so. But thankfully, we have the entire narrative of Genesis to Revelation to, to give us a greater and broader perspective. For James 1, verses 13 through 14 says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. He himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Does God tempt people? Let me, let me paint another quick, silly little picture. Imagine I go to my wife, Lauren. I say, hey, babe, our minivan is awesome, but I know in your deepest desires, you've always pictured yourself as an SUV mama. So, Here's what I'm telling you you can't do. You cannot go to the Ford dealership and buy a new Expedition. That's what you can't do. Let's hop in the minivan and go to the Ford dealership anyways. Now, when we get to the Ford dealership, I, I look at her and I tell her, babe, you are not getting a, a car today, especially a Ford Expedition. Okay, babe, I hear you. I hear you. But let's go look at the Ford Expeditions. <laughs> hey, babe, let's, let's go test drive a Ford Expedition. But let me remind you. You are not allowed to buy a Ford Expedition today. Okay, babe, I hear you. How was the test drive? I loved it. I loved all the features. That's great. But remember, you're not allowed to buy one. But I am going to go run the numbers on our trade-in value and to see what it would cost us to see if this is fe feasible. But again, you're not allowed to drive a Ford Expedition or buy a Ford Expedition. Babe, I hear you. Like, okay. Hey, babe, I ran the numbers. We can actually afford it, and we can actually do it but you're not allowed to drive a Ford Expedition. I'm super confused at this moment, Trey, right? Like, you have put me through the ringer. Am I or am I not getting a Ford Expedition today? No, get in the van, we're going home. Right, like, I would never, ever do that to Lauren. 
I would never say you're not allowed to do this and then put her in that exact situation to do it. That would be silly of me. Now, that's a small picture of a greater picture of does God tempt us with evil? No. Does God say you can't do something and then in that same breath bring that front and center to your face? No. But here's what I will say that God does do. That in the fabric of brokenness and evil and sin in this world that tempts you and lures you, God will redeem that temptation by using it to test you and grow you in your faith. So does God tempt us? No. So here's a way to think about and pray this prayer. Lord, help me to resist and endure temptation and to rebuke evil as you refine me through trials to look like you. For if you're not tempting me, but temptation is coming my way regardless, regardless then use this, because God's word says he was tempted like as we are yet without sin, then use this to make me look more like you. Refine me through this. Now, to resist this temptation, I'm going to say a universal truth. This is easier said than done, right? You with me? This is easier said than done to resist temptation. For C.S. Lewis wrote this right on the verge of the world wars. He wrote this. No man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it, not by giving in to it. You find out the strength of the wind by trying to walk, by trying to walk against it, not by lying down to it. And a man who gives into, into temptation after five minutes, simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. And we never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside of us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who, ever, who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full, what temptation means, the only complete realists. You do not know the strength of temptation until you fight temptation. Now, I'm going to tell you this story. There was a man, a buddy of mine, who struggled really bad against this, this certain sin. And he told me, Trey, I'm going to fast for seven days and seven nights and pray that God would remove this temptation from me. And he did so. And at the very end of it, he said, Trey, God has removed the temptation. That story is 100% false. <laughs> that is not how it works. To those of you who think the longer I follow Jesus, the less I will be tempted, you are comically mistaken. For temptation will follow you all the days of your life. One of the things I find interesting in being in, I was a lead pastor at one stage of my life and just getting to interact with different generations of being in different small groups of people who are typically older in life, when we say, tell me what God is doing in your life, I typically hear the same response. Well, in 1990, God did this. That's great. What is he doing now? Well, in 1980, I get he delivered you in 1980 from something, but what is he delivering you from now? For you are still being tempted. And if we're being honest, every single one of us faces temptation. Every single one of us Faces a battle that maybe um, that, that the rest of us may not know. 
And temptation is a pathway, if we walk through that door, to sinning. Now, temptation is not the sin, all right? Temptation is not the the sin. And if you're trying to find victory over certain sins and strongholds in your life, let let me make this case tonight. Let me say this tonight. That the battle against sin is easiest to win at the moment of temptation. That the battle against sin is easiest to win at the moment of temptation. For once we step through that door of temptation and into sin, there starts a spiral in our lives that is very difficult to get out of. And here is the spiral of temptation. Number one, here's how it happens. Temptation from the enemy enters our minds. This is the first thing that the temptation from the enemy enters into our minds. Now, you you may be like, well, I didn't originate this thought. The enemy brought it to me. You sound an awful lot like Adam and Eve. And while the enemy may bring it to you, they did not decide to do it for you. There was a decision made. And so temptation from the enemy enters into our mind. Do I do this? What are the pros and cons? And I'll be honest, half the time it's not even that. It's just like we don't even think. There's no engagement whatsoever. Temptation from the enemy enters into our minds. Again, James 1, 13 through 15 says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured, enticed by his own desires. And here's the fruit of it. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it fully grow, is fully grown, brings forth death. It starts this spiral. For when temptation from the enemy enters our minds and we walk through that door, we act on temptation and sin. We act on temptation and we sin. And in that moment, this is the third spiral, there is usually momentary pleasure. There is usually momentary pleasure. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. There is usually, if sin wasn't fun, nobody would do it. But that's what it promises, right? This is joy. This is where you're going to find fulfillment. In this, you will find ultimate satisfaction. In this, after this, you will find contentment. I mean, it's that same old phrase, like, you know how much money is enough? Just a little bit more. Well, once I get to this level, once you get to that level, then you live a lifestyle above that level, and you just need a little bit more. Then you just, and it's this never-fulfilling promise. But there is usually momentary pleasure. And then from there, we discover sin's hooks. From there, we discover sin's hooks hooks and we find out and we come to the conclusion this isn't as easy to stop as i thought it would be this isn't as easy to thought stop as i thought it would be and we've discovered the hooks of the enemy and here's what happens the enemy shifts to a new tactic of accusation and condemnation The enemy steps out of the role of the enticer and steps into the role of the accuser and condemner. And we, at that point, are met by feelings of frustrations, guilt, and shame. For what happened all the way back in the Garden of Eden, we were able to walk with God, we were able to talk with God. The enemy came and deceived us, lied to us. The, the, the hook of sin grabbed us, Adam and Eve. And when God came walking in the garden, guilt and shame made them hide. Where are you, Adam? Where are you, Eve? Who told you you were naked? Who told you you had to hide? That was not the effects of God. That was the effects of the deceiver and of sin. 
For condemnation makes you hide, but spiritual conviction brings you into the light saying, I messed up, Dad, and I need help. And the enticer has moved to the position of accuser and condemner, which leads to the last portion of the spiral. We find ourselves vulnerable, weak, isolated, empty, and longing. And if you're there right now, and and you've thought to yourself, how did I get here? It started at the moment of temptation, the very top of the spiral. And you have found along the way that temptation takes you farther than you want to go, and it keeps you longer than you want to stay, and you don't know where to go or what to do. Let me know if this sounds familiar to you. A thought comes into your mind, and that thought is left unchecked. That thought leads to temptation in your life, and eventually, if left unchecked and thought about, it becomes an action and and eventually a pattern. Now you're frustrated, remorseful, and you promise yourself, others, and maybe even God, that you'll never do it again. And then you do it again. And the spiral leads us to believe that there's something wrong with us or there's something wrong with the gospel. And to be very honest, this is when a lot of people either bail on Jesus or they come and attend church week in and week out accepting a life of defeat with no hope. This is when either people bail on Jesus or they accept defeat once they've made it to the bottom of this spiral and they've tried to claw their way out and they're exhausted. And maybe that's you. But I'm telling you that Jesus did not go to the grave into the depths of hell then by his own power get up claiming victory so that way you can never live a life of victory. For, first, or for 2 Corinthians 10.4 says this, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but we have a divine power to destroy strongholds. Now, I do want to preface this that not every temptation or not every problem of your life is spiritual warfare. Right? Like, you got to go to work and your car's not starting. It's not spiritual warfare. I think you just may need a jump. (laughs) Right? But I also don't want to let you live blindly to think that there is nothing spiritual going on in this world. The enemy is crafty, and he makes things look beautiful. He entices you, and he doesn't show you the long-term effect. He just allures us with immediate gratification. Anybody fish in the room? Any fishermen? Any fisherwomen? All right. Um, I have not fished in a very long time. Growing up, we had a little retention pond in our backyard, and I had the rocket power fishing rod. Y'all remember what that is? It's this little thing where you pull the trigger, it like shoots out maybe 10, 15 feet, and I just caught some brim, right? That's, that's the extent. If you say, how do you catch a bass? How do you catch this? How do you catch that? Couldn't tell you. Never done it. All I've caught is brim. You know, the stuff, the little pokey stuff out the back? That's all I caught. And the second it started to wiggle, I got scared, and I just threw it, right? That's about the extent of fishing. But here's what I do know, though. We don't tell the fish what's on the other side of the bait. We're not in the boat saying, if you bite that lure, I'm going to rip you out of your ecosystem. I'm going to traumatize your fish family. I'm going to cut you open, rip out all your guts. And then I'm going to, you know that little scales, your skin? I'm going to just scrape all that off with a smile on my face. And then I'm going to heat up a rock. And I'm going to throw you on that rock. I'm going to fillet you. And I'm going to serve you. And I'm going to eat you and devour you. And you're going to be an afterthought in my mind. All right, that's a little, okay, whoa, hey, that's a little much, bro. Well, it's what we do, right? <laughs> we don't do that. All we do is go, hey, they'll bite onto this bait. Let me open up my tackle box. This will work for them. We're crafty with it. We know which bait will catch which fish. And so is the enemy. 
And the enemy is not dangling this bait in front of you, yelling, I'm going to ruin your marriage. I'm going to ruin your friendships. I'm going to destroy your mental health. Man, I am going to wreck your family financially by instituting this addiction. I am going to get you in such a deep place of depression that you feel like there's no way out. Would you do it? No. The best way to defeat sin is at the moment of temptation. For the second that fish bites onto that hook, it is a much tougher fight for the fish than to ignore the hook altogether. For you in your battle against sin, it is much easier to win at the battle of temptation, the battle of the hook, than to latch onto it and then fight after. This is not nursery rhyme Bible stories. This is about hand-to-hand combat and taking your life back. This is about taking back your thoughts, your marriage, your influence, your parenthood, your future, your spouse, your spiritual health. This is about strongholds coming down in your life. And I get some of you were born into strongholds. That your strongholds was the strongholds that your mom didn't deal with, nor did your grandma deal with. Some of your strongholds, it's the stronghold your dad didn't deal with, nor your grandfather deal with. But it can come down. And I wonder how many of us in this room find ourselves in the midst of the stronghold, desiring it to come down. But here's one of the greatest lies of the enemy, that you have to stay in that stronghold. That you have to stay in that pit. That you have to stay at the bottom of the spiral. For again, 2 Corinthians taught us that we have the divine power to destroy, destroy strongholds. And we destroy, this, this, that was verse 4, this is verse 5, and we destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. For again, let me remind you that Jesus, our King, is on the throne as the victorious King of all. And He's not coming again to finally win. It's already over. He's won. And that same victory that Jesus has over all is in you. For you are in Him. His righteousness, you have it. His Spirit, you have it. His identity, you have it. His dominion, you have it. For if you don't take away anything from this message, take this away, that your salvation gives you the power of of decision to walk in the God-given victory found in your God-given identity. Your salvation, being in Jesus, gives you the power of decision. You can choose to what? To walk in victory because of your God-given identity. If you're not in Jesus, this is not an option for you. This is only found in Jesus. You see, the God-given identity part, we have an identity theology issue, I think, in a lot of our churches and in a lot of our lives. Now, I love grace. We just did a series called The Five Solas, Grace Alone. I love grace. I need grace in my life. But let me make this phrase, and let me know if this sounds familiar to you. We're just beggars helping other beggars find crumbs. That's what Christianity is. We're just beggars helping other beggars find crumbs. That's encouraging. Like, my God is feasting, and he's like, here's a little scrap for you. We're just beggars helping other beggars. Or maybe like this, we're just sinners saved by grace. And I, I get it. I get it. But if that's all the gospel is, is that we're just sinners saved by grace, then that gives us liberty to just keep on sinning. For if that's our identity, then that's all we'll do. Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, who said, I am the chief of sinners, also said this, that we are holy saints, a royal priesthood, 
Let me say it like this. We are, ro- we are holy saints with a decision to embrace this invitation into new identification rather than walking into temptation. That you're not just a sinner saved by grace. That you're a child of God. God says you are a new creation. The old is gone. That's not you. It's what the enemy may call you by. But it's not how Jesus sees you. And it's not how we should see ourselves. For let me ask you this question. Are we simply sinners trying to act like saints? Or is it possible that we are saints who have the ability to choose to sin? What is the story of your life? Are you simply just a sinner trying to act like a saint? Or could it be that you need a new identity theology and understanding you are a saint who has the ability to choose to sin? That's an internal question. That's a, something that you have to take inventory of your own soul and your own way of thinking. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says this, no temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. Let me say it like this. What was the temptation in the Old Testament was robes and sandals. It's the same temptation today in skinny jeans and Jordans, right? Same sin, different clothes. There's no new temptation under the sun. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way out of escape that you may be able to endure it. God is faithful. Those three words change everything, reminding us that sin is not the end of our story, that God has provided a way out so that we can endure and escape the temptation to choose him over anything. So do we have to sin? No. Do we need grace of God? Yes. Do we need the mercy of God? Yes. Do we need the forgiveness of God? Yes. Do we need the power of God? Yes. But do we have to sin? No. No. I want to paint this picture of two doors. I want to paint this picture of two doors. One door says invitation. The other door says tempta- or, uh, uh, temptation. So we have invitation and temptation. We have invitation, we have temptation. Let me say it like this. Every temptation from the enemy is an invitation by God into holy. So while the enemy may tempt you, God at the same, in the same breath in his redemptive narrative of your life and invites you into holy. So God, so God invites you while the enemy tempts you. And because of God's faithfulness, even in the spiral, if you've walked through the door of temptation, he will provide a way out. Let me say that again. He will provide a way out. Now, let's preface, the easiest way out is not to go in, right? Duh, okay. So, but the way out looks differently for all of us. For I know, and like, have you ever grown up and, like, for some people it was easy to sin and get away with things? Not for me. No, no, sir. Not for me. I remember there was one time, like, so the, where I grew up, um, uh, my, my dad was on pastoral staff. My mom was a fifth grade teacher at the school that was there. There was also a college that was there. And my great uncle was in charge of the Bible department. My grandmother, who was my dad's mom, is uh, the head pastor's secretary. My aunt is in charge of the finance department. My other, my mom's cousin is the head of the security team. Um, my grandfather, my mom's dad, was the principal at the school for a while. And then my mom's mom was in charge of the home ec department for a while. And I got away with nothing. <laughs> nothing. When I was in kindergarten, I had a crown in my hand, and I just kind of drew on the carpet real quick. My kindergarten teacher caught me, said, did you draw on the carpet? I said, no. Did you draw on the carpet? Yes. Did you lie to me? I think so. Come with me. 
grabbed my hand, walked me to my mom's classroom. My mom spanked me in the middle of the day and then sent me back to class. How many other kids did that happen to? None. I couldn't get away with it. So for me in my life, here's what I know. For me to sin, I have to manipulate situations. I have to go above and beyond to sin a lot of times in my life. I know I made that in a joking manner of like, woe is me type moment, but let me say this on the other side of it. I'm thankful for the guardrails that God put around my life growing up. But I had to learn to, I had to learn how to sin and get away with it. I had to find it. It rarely found me. Can I say that that was a way out of my life? That that was God providing a way out? That I found hurdle after hurdle after hurdle that I had to jump through and jump over to get to sin? Maybe this is you. Maybe you know that there's a friend in your friend group who's bad news that you would never go on a trip with, that you would never hang out with, because you know when they show up, bad things happen. And you're with your group of friends, and they're like, hey, so-and-so is coming. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> He'll be here in like 10 minutes. Let me just say this. I don't want to over-spiritualize things, but let me just give a little hint. That 10 minutes may be God's way out. Let me give another illustration. 85% of men in this country struggle in some way, shape, or form with pornography. To manipulate the situations for you to get alone, to go and do that thing, and you kind of have to manipulate some things in order to create that space to commit that sin. And along that way, more often than not, with some of the people I've talked to that have struggled with it, there were plenty of ways out that you ignored or powered through to get to your desired outcome. God often, always, by his word, will provide a way out. And the way out simply might just be the awareness in the midst of the circumstance that this is not right. And in that moment, let me say it like this, you have a decision. Teenagers in the room, when you're at your boyfriend or girlfriend's house and you're beginning to get pressured into doing things or in a situation that you don't want to do or, or be a part of, let me say this. You have a decision to make and you have a choice to make to say, this is not worth it. I'm going outside and I'm calling my parents to come pick me up. You have that decision. I know it may not feel like it in that moment, but you have a decision. You can make that choice. You're out with a group of people and things are heading south. Call a friend of yours. Get my number. Call me. We'll come and pick you up. When that moment of awareness of this is heading down a road, I don't want to go, because what we just learned, there is a spiral to things. You have a decision in the moment of temptation to walk away. You can leave, and God will provide ways out. For again, at the door of invitation and temptation, we have a choice. But let me just say this. Continuing to say no to the door of temptation is not the way to victory. For that'll keep you in the hallway. Victory is found by saying no to temptation. Victory is not found by saying no to temptation. It's found by saying yes to invitation. And God invites you. What does he invite you to? God invites you to know him. If you don't know him tonight, you will have an opportunity to, but God invites you to know him. He invites you to know him, the invitation to know him. To know him deeper if you already know him to know his ways, to know his works, to know his character. And when you begin to know him, this leads to the fulfillment of the very thing that tempts us. James 1, I'm going to jump down to verse 16, says this, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. 
Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down, down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So this invitation isn't to get God's best. This invitation is to simply get God. And that is the best. Can I say it like this? I think in some ways, you and I have it better out than Adam and Eve did. What? Let me, hold on. For when the enemy came to Eve and said, is God holding out on you? There was a question of, I don't know, is he? And that questioning of temptation led her to walk through that door which spiraled her in all of humanity. When the enemy comes against you and says, is God holding out on you? Let me say this. We have an empty cross and an empty grave to say, no, God poured out his best. He gave us his best. He went to the depths of hell for you and for me. And I know he has my best interest in his mind. So every lie against the enemy, or every lie from the enemy, is simply that, a lie. We have an invitation to know him. So when the enemy comes against us, we say, no, 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 my God would not withhold. My God would not spare. My God gave his best for me. An invitation to know him. An invitation to know him and his resurrection power. Number two, an invitation to walk wisely. An invitation to walk wisely. To make practical changes in your life. King David, man after God's own heart, also a murderer and adulterer, but we don't, we don't go there. Um, we, uh, David, when he committed adultery, which eventually led to him committing murder, you know how the beginning of that passage starts? When all the kings went off to war, David stayed behind. Talk about Practical. Like, here's what would save you and me a lot of heartache in our life. Be where you're supposed to be and do what you're supposed to be doing. That's really practical. Teenager, you want to stay out of trouble? Don't skip school. Be in school. Be in class. Be where you're supposed to be. Do what you're supposed to be doing. You're telling your spouse you're going off to work? Go to work. Be where you're supposed to be. Do what you're supposed to be doing. We need wise counsel. Right? So this is practical advice. Get wise counsel in your life. Get community in your life. Join a life group. Get people that know you. Find accountability. Find environmental changes. Use wisdom in your life. Wisdom at work with a coworker of the opposite sex. I'm going to make a bold, audacious statement. I think God would rather you lose a friendship at work, an inappropriate friendship at work, than ruin the most important relationship in your life with your spouse. And you don't just wake up one day and go, hey, I think I'm in an unhealthy relationship. There are real, obvious decisions that we make to get that to that point. But let me say, real practical, lose the friendship to save your marriage. It's a real practical step for you. If you struggle with pornography, don't be alone with your phone. Don't take it into the bathroom with you. Don't take it into the restroom with you. Don't take it, like if your spouse is leaving for that, go with them. Get out of the house. Use wisdom. Set yourself up for success. You say, Trey, that's radical. Wisdom, most often in the Bible, is spelled radical. Radical changes in your life. Make them. It's worth it. I promise you, you'll be better for it. You'll know God, and you'll know his wisdom when you walk in holy. Number three, an invitation to a renewed mind. You can change a thought pattern in 21 days. So, when you go to his word, and you know his ways, and you know his character, and you're walking in wisdom, and his word differs from your thoughts, listen to his word. For his truth is truer than any thought. You may say, I am awful, for man judges me by my mistakes. Well, remind yourself of this. I am not defined by my worst day. I am defined by the day that Jesus walked out of that tomb and offered me his righteousness, and I said yes to it. That's what defines me. And that simple flip of the script when the enemy comes against you and your thoughts, and you flip the script on him and say, I'm actually defined by Jesus. And by that identity theology, I'm going to walk that way. For a transformed mind will lead to a transformed life. Invitation to a renewed mind. And finally, number four, 
an invitation to intimacy with God. Invitation to intimacy with God. The first three spirals to this invitation all culminate to this. All culminate to this. That on the other side of this door, on the other side of knowing him, on the other side of knowing him, walking in wisdom, having a renewed mind, that I have intimacy with God. Um, my son uh, loves animals. Um, he will often like grab a like one of his like stuffed dogs and be like, "Dog, rough." I'm like, "Yes." Cat, meow. Yes. <laughs> Lion, rawr. I'm like, "Yes." <laughs> and he, we just go over this over and over and over again. Um. I was thinking of an illustration to kind of close out this sermon, specifically with the intimacy of God. And um, he also loves this show called Blippy. Now, if you don't know what Blippy is, just get on your knees right now and thank the Lord. <laughs> um, but there was this episode of Blippy where Blippy goes to the zoo. And... In this episode, I actually learned a thing or two about zebras. What? Yes, I did. Um, but the interesting thing with the zebras is um, when a zebra has a baby, the mama zebra will take that baby away from the herd for weeks up to months. Say, why? Because zebras all have unique stripes, except Every single zebra has unique stripes on the face. It's like a thumbprint. Every single one of them are unique. None of them are the same. And that mama takes that baby and spends time with that baby to where when the mama, after weeks and months of being alone with this baby, introduces this baby back to the herd. And when this baby feels lost, and when this baby needs to be led beyond a shadow of a doubt, it can look at the face and say, that's my mom. There are a lot of competing faces. There are a lot of competing stripes. And in this world, there are a lot of competing so-called truths. There are a lot of competing so-called true norths. There are a lot of competing definitions of love, of identity, and all these things. But when we spend time with God, when we know him, we're walking in wisdom. We have a renewed mind. In the midst of all of it, we can still say, I know the voice of my shepherd, and I follow him. For I'm not just saying no to temptation. I'm saying yes to the invitation to know the God of the universe, to know the creator and sustainer of all things, to know my savior, to know the king of every galaxy. It's an invitation. And that's where God wants to get us. So when we're going through life and are tempted by the real enemy, you can easily decipher the enemy's lies in God's voice. Listen to me, please. If you're in here and you are struggling, I want to promise you, because God promises you, you can do this. You can get out of the spiral of sin. You can get out of the spiral of temptation. You say, Trey, I tried. I'm close to giving up hope. Do not give up, for you have a divine power that can tear down strongholds. But victory is not just found by saying no to the thing that tempts you. It's found by saying yes to the invitation by God Almighty to know him, follow him, be wise like him, and to be intimate with him in worship and in life and in your soul. You can do this. You can. Sin's hooks are not stronger than the cross. There's an empty cross and an empty grave to show you how far God will go for you. And he invites you today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If that's you tonight and you say, hey, I, I don't know him.
I've never said yes to the initial invitation to make him king of my life. And not just king of my life, but as the shepherd of my life, as the leader of my life, as the Lord of my life. I'm going to give you an opportunity to tonight. And I'm going to say this prayer, and as I say this prayer, if God's word says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. But he also says to follow me. So there is acknowledgement and then there is action. And tonight, I'm going to give you an opportunity to acknowledge. And in the back tent on your way out, there is an opportunity for action. For we will have a gift of a Bible there for you and people to talk to you there about what the next, step, next steps look like. But if you're in this room tonight and you don't know Jesus, you don't know the God of fulfillment, the God who doesn't promise something and then underdeliver, the God who promises something and we experience that he is so much greater than we could ever comprehend or imagine. That God. And if that's you tonight, I want you to just repeat this prayer after me. You can say it out loud. You can say it in your mind. Just know that if you repeat this prayer and don't mean this prayer, that you're just, it's just a mantra. But to put your faith in him saves you, not just temporarily, but for all eternity. And so if that's you tonight, just say this. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you as a sinner. I have walked through the door of temptation. And I need help. And so I accept your invitation to make you king of my life, to make you Lord of my life. I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you did what you said you did. And I believe you are alive and well today on the throne. I commit my life to you. I choose to follow you and your teachings. I choose to know you. Thank you for this gift of salvation. Thank you for redeeming my life. In Jesus' name, amen. With every head so bad, every eye so closed. I just want to know how I can pray for you. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, really quickly, nobody's looking around. Would you just raise your hand? Nobody's looking around. Anybody like that in the room tonight? Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? You accepted that invitation to know Jesus. Praise the Lord. For the rest of us, those who feel like they're in the spiral of temptation, let me say this prayer over you. God, I love you, and God, you are for them. You have set a path for them. They don't have to figure this life out. You already figured it out, and you have given us the playbook. You've given us the navigational tool to go about our lives, to formulate our lives, to um, create patterns in our lives. So help us to go to your word. Holy Spirit, help reveal your word in simple and practical ways and in powerful ways, and let us see in a transformational way lives changed here at Parkview because people decided to follow you. They decided to follow you on the way out of that spiral and into the invitation of a good spiral to intimacy with you. Let strongholds be broken. Let addictions break. And may we see people walking in freedom all over this place. We love you. We praise you. And in Jesus' name, amen.